0: Okay, so there's nothing really graphic in this story, but if you're familiar with the name Oedipus, you probably know the reason for this disclaimer. If you have young kids, there's a very gross, very central theme this week. Check out the post on MythPodcast.com for more info. This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the story of Oedipus from Greek mythology. You'll see how to not handle a traffic jam at a three-way stop, and, this shouldn't surprise you, But when it comes to talking with women with the bodies of lions and poisonous snakes for a tail, don't. Then, on the creature of the week, if you're tricked by this Japanese raccoon dog, you're going to be pretty angry, but not for the reason you think, especially if you took him up on his offer for a ride in his carriage. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, episode 65 Mother Boy. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is an interesting one. The story is pretty famous, but not so much for the story, but for the pretty gross central premise. The story is great, and has roots in mythology, but the most famous version comes to us from Sophocles, an Athenian who wrote the play Oedipus Rex, which means Oedipus the King he wasn't a T-Rex, as amazing as that would be. Sophocles lived in the 400s BC, but this play is set about 800 years prior. Somewhere in between Jason and the Argonauts and the Trojan War, though you don't need to worry about previous Greek myth episodes. This is pretty much a separate story, and we'll go into all this at the very end. Right now, we'll just jump into the story. "'No, no, 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 this can't be happening,' the king said. "'Are you sure?' he asked his wife. She sighed. "'Yes, she was sure. "'She would know if she was pregnant, "'and weeks along, she was pregnant. "'This was supposed to be a happy day. "'The king would have an heir, "'and the dynasty would live on, "'except, of course, for the meddling of the gods. "'It wasn't Zeus's type of horrendous meddling.' but one sentence from one oracle that turned this wonderful day dark. If the king had a child, that child would murder him. You know, if you read the mythologies, you kind of hear this problem all the time, the queen said. Maybe it's wrong. Honey, the king said, this is ancient Greece. No prophecy is ever wrong. Sometimes they're confusing or intentionally vague. But, quote, if you have a child that child will murder you, period, full stop, is about as clear as it gets. If this child survives, I won't. The queen knew that he was telling the truth. They had to do something to make sure this prophecy wouldn't come to pass. Unfortunately, the queen was already pregnant, so that left them with one option. They would wait until this child was born, and then kill it. I'll do it, the queen said, and the couple wept. She couldn't do it. At least, she couldn't actively murder her own child. There was another way. She gave the baby to a servant, with the instructions to leave him on a hillside, but never tell her or the king where it was, lest their strength fail, and they rushed to the baby's aid. Torn between the love for her child, and that of her husband, and their kingdom, the young queen gave her baby to the servant, who left without looking back. Also, they pierced his ankles for some reason. Moving on. Now, now, If you've listened to other Greek mythology episodes in this podcast, you've seen this go down before. And, spoiler alert, the baby's alright. This is the ancient Greek equivalent of the villain hooking James Bond up to a death ray, and then leaving the room, because, surely, there's no chance that he will survive. Except that he survives that exact same scenario, always. Anyway, with the murder outsourced to a servant, who's likely a decent person, and not super thrilled about the order he was given, he thought it was probably okay to do the exact opposite of the thing he was told to do and gave the baby to a shepherd buddy of his. When he got back to the castle, the young queen asked him if it was done. He said, bup." bup, bup. you said you didn't want to know the details, so this isn't technically lying. The Queen nodded. That's right. She thanked him for murdering their child. No problem. The servant said anytime. Well, no, scratch that. Never ask me to do that again because that's actually seriously messed up. You don't want to know. No, but I really do, the young man said. Why would I go to an oracle if I didn't want to know my future? No, the oracle said. I get that you want to know your future in the broad sense of the word, but trust me, You don't want to know this future. Is it my future? The young man asked. Well, yes, the oracle said. But you don't want to know. Well, if it's bad, I can avoid it. Right? The young man asked. That's not how Greek fatalism works, the oracle said. Well, whatever. I want to know, and I jumped through all of your hoops and paid you, the prince of Corinth said. Now tell me my future. All right, the oracle said. You're going to kill your father and marry your mother. What? Ugh. See? The Oracle said. That's really messed up. What is wrong with you? Why would you say that? Hey, the Oracle said. I don't make up your fate. I just tell it to you, and for the record, I told you you wouldn't want to know. Wow. Ah. Uh, okay. Well, that's simple then. I'll just never go home again. Done and done. I know who my mom is so I'll just never marry her. Take that, fate. Well, it's never quite that simple, the oracle said. But how you do or do not respond to the prophecy is kind of beyond my purview. Now, if you don't mind, my 11 o'clock is here. I'm going to beat fate, the young Prince Oedipus said on his way out the door. You'll see. Well, good luck, because that literally never happens. Bye-bye, the oracle said, before welcoming in her 11 o'clock appointment. Oedipus was driving his chariot. Not only did that news gross him out to his core, but the will of the gods was not something he wanted to mess with. Oedipus knew he couldn't go home to Corinth. He loved his parents, but not like that, and did not want anything to happen to them. Luckily, this was the time of heroes, where a young man couldn't throw a stone without finding a monster to fight, or a murderous daddy had to beat for a princess's hand in marriage. If there was a time to go into self-imposed exile, this was it. Oedipus knew that Jason of the Jason and the Argonauts fame was currently doing the same thing with his wife Medea, and it seemed to be working out for him. He was going to be alright, oh my gosh, was this guy going to go or what? Oedipus had come to a three-way stop, and a middle-aged man sat atop his chariot on the other side. The man waved Oedipus on, but they did that awkward thing where Oedipus also waved the other guy on. And so they both decided to go, only to stop a couple of feet later, even more enraged and still having the same problem. Oedipus waved him on, saying, Go! But the man just sat back on his heels in his chariot, waving angrily for Oedipus to go. Both parties dug in, waving the other on, until finally Oedipus did the ancient world equivalent of slamming his foot down on the pedal and whipped his horses. Even though the man had the right of way, Oedipus was going. Unfortunately, the man had the exact same thought and whipped his own horses. Moments later, there was an awkward tangle of horses in the streets. The man on the other side was having precisely none of it, pulled out his club, and bonked Oedipus on the head. He apparently could not stand teenage drivers. Oedipus wasn't normally a hothead. He wasn't normally the type of guy who would take out some golf clubs and wail on someone's back window in a fit of rage. Today had been a rough day, though, and this guy had the audacity to hit him in the head with a club. Also, not everyone gets a really gross prophecy from an oracle. That means you can never go home again. So today... Oedipus was the guy with golf clubs. Unfortunately, he didn't have golf clubs, just a spear. And the ancient Greek chariots don't have back windows. He was so angry at this man who didn't understand right of way at three-way stops, that he stabbed the guy. Around step two or three, he realized he should probably ease up. It was just a misunderstanding. He didn't want to kill the guy. He looked down and saw that it was a little late for that. Oedipus had killed the man in his rage. Then, he realized another, more pressing issue. The man had servants, and a couple guards with him on the road. And they were attacking. Maybe they came at him one by one, action movie style. Or maybe Oedipus was so good, that he fought the three of them at once. But soon, only Oedipus was left standing. He sat there catching his breath after they were all dead. And then, out of the corner of his eye, Oedipus saw the man. One of the main guy's servants had done exactly what I would do in the situation, and took off in an all-out run, to get as far away from the massacre as possible. Oedipus saw the man right before he disappeared, around a corner in the forest. Oedipus cursed himself. He didn't know what was down that road. He didn't know if the man would find help around the corner. And Oedipus couldn't catch up to him easily. He would need to untangle the horses, and get this other chariot and the bodies out of the way. He would not be able to catch that servant. He would just need to run. When he finally got everything separated, he sped the horses on, away from Corinth. Oedipus began to panic, as he got farther away from the crossroads. What if there were more people that had seen it? He didn't get a good look around. This was stupid. He left his home, and now he risked becoming a fugitive a lump formed in his throat. Though he tried to put it out of his mind, he was a murderer. He drove on. Oedipus pushed his horses hard, and himself harder. He went until it was dark, slept in the cold dirt beside his horse, and then left at first light. He did that for days, until he was far away from the spot where he had killed the men. Sick with himself for killing a stranger, Oedipus almost walked right into it. He was traveling north through the mountains, when, up ahead the peak before the path sloped downward toward the city of Thebes, he saw it. It had the body of a lion, the wings of an eagle, and, for a tail, a poisonous snake. Strangest of all, it had the head of a woman. Another traveler that had passed Oedipus earlier that day was there, but it didn't look like things were going well for him, mainly because the creature had the man up against a rock. Oedipus realized what was going on the instant the traveler stopped moving. The creature was suffocating him, Oedipus gasped, and the creature noticed him. She dropped the body of the traveler to the ground, and moved towards Oedipus, with the grace of a cat. And she had a hungry look in her eye. Uh, hi, Oedipus said. Hi there, the creature said. How are you doing? Good, good, Oedipus said. So, do you just kill travelers for fun, or... Oh, yeah, how rude, the creature responded. First off, I'm the Sphinx, and I do kill travelers for fun. "'but my thing is that I'm into riddles. "'So I ask people a riddle, "'and if they don't answer it, "'I kill them where they stand.' "'So, okay, I guess that makes sense,' Oedipus said. "'Not to toot my own anachronistic horn, "'but I'm pretty good at riddles, "'and I'm a traveler, "'so are you gonna ask me?' (laughs) "'Yeah,' the Sphinx said. "'Everyone thinks they're good at riddles. "'Then five minutes later, "'I'm choking the life out of them.' "'No, but I'm really good,' Oedipus said. "'I'm sure you are,' the Sphinx said.' but just be thinking about how you want to die. Strangulation is kind of my M.O., but I'm not against picking you up and dropping you off a mountain. All right, just let's get on with it, Oedipus said. You mean get on with you embarrassing yourself and dying? Yes, let, us the Sphinx said. All right, here it is. What walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs in the evening. Really think about the wrong answer you want to get. Got it, Oedipus said. No, no you don't, the Sphinx said. It's a person, Oedipus answered. Wrong. Wait, what? Did you just say person? Yeah, a person, Oedipus said. A baby crawls, or walks on four legs, in the beginning of life, or morning. A person generally walks on two legs in their prime, and in old age, or evening, people sometimes use canes, though that's kind of a generalization. So, yes, person, final answer. Does that mean I get to pass? Ugh. The Sphinx side, yes man, I knew I should have taken the afternoon off, okay well, this little conversation has been nice except that I need to die now what, why, Oedipus said, for the same reason a talking lion monster was threatening strangers with deadly word puzzles, who knows but those are the rules I have no regrets though, well except threatening strangers with deadly word puzzles, that seems like a bad move in retrospect, with that The Sphinx relaxed and dropped back from the rock at the mountain's peak. Oedipus rushed to the edge, expecting to see the thing fan her wings out and fly away. But the Sphinx's body just craned helplessly, until hitting the sharp rocks below, Oedipus saw the blood pool around her. She was dead. Oedipus shook his head. That was weird. He hopped back into his chariot and rode down the mountain toward the city of Thebes. When he arrived, there was already a gathering outside the city to meet him. When he told them of the dead Sphinx, a few went back to get her body, and think of a creative way to desecrate the corpse. The city of Thebes had been terrorized for months by the Sphinx, who destroyed their crops, killed their livestock, and asked everyone the same riddle before killing them. Now, though, the creature was dead, and Oedipus had bested her not with his sword, but with his words. One high-ranking person in the city came to meet him, and Oedipus learned his name was Creon, and Creon asked Oedipus what the city of Thebes could do for him. Oedipus said that he was in self-imposed exile, but he was the prince of Corinth, and was looking for a way to become a king someday. Any eligible princesses in Thebes, whose hands Oedipus could win, he was doing the whole process out of order. Usually young men asked for the princess's hand, and then were tasked with killing a monster, to depose of them. But Oedipus felt like this should probably still count. Creon said, sadly, no. The king and queen never had children but Oedipus was here at an interesting time. Turns out, that the king had been murdered by bandits. Oedipus said that he was so sorry to hear that. Creon said, yeah, Laius, the king, was my brother-in-law. But, hey, traveling in ancient Greece can be weird and dangerous. Well, I mean, I don't need to tell you, you just had a conversation with a winged lion monster. Creon continued, saying that the city-states were constantly at war and that a power vacuum could be viewed as a weakness by any kings or Herculeses that happened to come strolling through the area. Grant said that it wasn't every day, though, that an epic hero like Oedipus strolled in. I mean, Oedipus had killed the Greek Sphinx. He will be remembered forever for that. Like Hercules killing the Hydra, Bellerophon killing the Chimera, Theseus killing the Minotaur, and Jason getting the Golden Fleece. Whenever people think about the name Oedipus generations from now, they'll think about a guy who killed the Sphinx, and nothing else. Oedipus smiled and nodded, 18 years old and already making a name for himself. Nothing would ever overshadow this accomplishment. Creon said that Oedipus was lucky, even though there wasn't an eligible princess. With the king dead, there was an eligible queen he could marry. She was just, I don't know, 15-ish years older than Oedipus. Anyway, just like that, Oedipus would be the king by the end of the week. He wouldn't have to marry a princess and wait decades for the old king to die. Oedipus said that sounded great. Let's go meet her. When it comes to Oedipus, that other shoe will drop and drop hard. But that will be right after the
1: break
0: all right, now back to the show. Years and years later, the corruption and rot had creeped into the city of Thebes until it was all around. The sickly smells of countless citizens struck with fever, the putrid, reeking bodies of the ones the fever had claimed, and the fruits and grain rotting on the vine. The walls concealed a crumbling city, and a dying people, and Oedipus, the king, had to figure out what to do. He had just met with some priests, who begged him for help, and he hoped that help was on the way. The trumpets answered that very thought. His brother-in-law, Creon, was back from the Oracle of Apollo with news. Hopefully, the Olympians would show them the way out. The crowds flocked to Creon when he entered the city, and they parted for Oedipus standing before Thebes Creon said their curses would be turned to blessings they would just need to find the murderer of Laius Oedipus turned to him why did that name sound familiar? Creon said that it was his brother-in-law and the king before Oedipus remember he was killed by bandits a few weeks before Oedipus showed up Oedipus said wait you guys never figured out who killed him? Creon said no they meant to but things got busy also there was that murderous sphinx flying around everywhere oh yeah Okay, well, this is easy then. Let's go banish hunting, Oedipus said. Well, it might not be that easy, Creon said. The Oracle said that Lysa's killer needed to be banished, wait for it, from this city. Whoa, what? Oedipus said. The plot thickens. Okay, wow. So he's here? This is getting really interesting. Yeah, for real, Creon said. We should go about it quietly, try to trap him and smoke him out. Yeah, definitely, Oedipus said. Then he paused. Can you imagine? A king killer in our midst? I mean, you'd know, right? I bet he, or she, has been flying under our radar for years. I would know, though, Oedipus continued. In fact, I'm so confident in my ability to know, that if I ever got close to this person or invited him in, I will gladly take that curse on myself. Creon, try to stop him. This might be a bad idea. I mean, the gods generally aren't cool with people taking curses on themselves. So, I would watch what you say until we find this guy, or woman. Oedipus said, well, it's already been said. Hey, who's that guy? A blind man was walking up, led by a young helper. Crayon said that, wow, that was the prophet Tiresias. They had been trying to get him to come and help with the fever thing for months, but he was finally here for some reason. Tiresias walked up to them and said, wait, is the king Oedipus? His young helper said, yes. Oh... "'Ew,' Tiresias said. "'All right, kid, let's bounce.' "'Wait, what?' Oedipus said. "'Wait, no, you just got here.' "'Look, I don't want to get involved in... "'exactly what's going on here,' Tiresias said. "'Just a little hint, though. "'When all the oracles and the prophets "'are grossed out by your future, "'it's generally not a great sign.' "'Oedipus barred the door, "'so the blind prophet couldn't leave, "'saying that Tiresias had come here. "'Oedipus' city was dying.' and the prophet knew something that would help him. tiresias heard Oedipus, and knew that he was on his knees in front of the man, who was begging him to say something. Anything. Nope. Goodbye, Tiresias said. Look, you seem like a nice guy, but things are going to get pretty dark pretty fast, and I'd really like to avoid a, quote, shoot-the-messenger situation. So how about we part amicably without any horrible secrets coming to light? Oedipus, usually understanding, snapped. He said that this prophet was obviously a hack and a con man. Maybe he wasn't even blind. Oh, okay, Tiresias said. Looks like the whole partying amicably thing is out the window. All right, well, I'm just going to come out and say it. The person you're looking for, it's you. What? Why are you speaking in riddles, Oedipus said. I'm not, Tiresias said. I just said it was you. You should listen to Creon and probably leave town forever, or else that news is not even the worst thing you're going to hear today. Oedipus said that he had never killed the king. That was ridiculous. That's cool, Tiresias said. I mean, you did, but you'll see that in time. Also, once again, this is not a path you want to start on. You will not like where it leads. Really, I'm going to double down on my recommendation that you do what you said you do and banish the murder of lies, because it's you. Oedipus asked where was Tiresias when Oedipus valiantly killed the Sphinx with his wits alone. In fact, the man was old enough. How long has it been? 20 years since Laius was murdered? If Tiresias could see back then, who's to say he wasn't the festering wound on the city, causing all these problems? All right, Tiresias said. I tried to be nice, but I'll stay, and we'll just get this whole thing started. I really wish you just left, though, because this is really gross stuff. Anyway, it's not time for everything to crash and burn just yet, so I'll be back to watch you leave after the revelations destroy your life. Oedipus stood there boiling in rage, as the old prophet hobbled out. Jocasta, the queen, heard the arguing, loudly, in front of the crowd. She looked outside, cursed, and ran to them, breaking them up. It was a kind of unnecessary little side plot, where, since Oedipus couldn't have possibly killed the king on the road despite having killed someone on the road exactly the time the king died. Well, Oedipus said Creon, his brother-in-law, had obviously been plotting against him, and Oedipus wanted to have the man killed. Since people generally don't take that news lightly, Oedipus and Creon were arguing. Jocasta made Creon and Oedipus both go home and cool down. No one was ordering anyone's murder this afternoon, and that was final. She followed Oedipus and asked him what the deal was. Why was he so angry with Creon? Oedipus said this whole Laeus murder thing. Creon had paid the profit to say Oedipus did it. Jocasta said, Oh, well, you didn't do it. It was bandits. I know, Oedipus said. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, Jocasta said. It was the place where three highways meet. Oh, co- wait, what? Oedipus said. You mean, like, a three-way stop, where it might be kind of confusing who has the right-of-way, leading to a guy with a club unnecessarily escalating the situation to a tragic yet deserved outcome? Because really, what do you expect when you hit strangers in the head with a club? Yeah, Jocasta said. One of those. Why? No reason, Oedipus said. Hey, what did this guy look like? Jocasta looked at her husband. Uh, this is the first time I'm noticing it, but kind of exactly like an older version of you. Weird. Oh. Uh, okay. Okay, so, funny story, Oedipus said. I was traveling a few years back, and there was this older guy that I may have murdered at a crossroads. What if it's me? What if I'm the one bringing down this sickness on the land? Jocasta said it was impossible. The king was killed by a whole group of bandits. There was one guy who escaped, and that was his story. Oh, well, that's positive at least. Is he here? He could really clear this whole thing up. She said no, it was the weirdest thing. When Oedipus showed up and killed the Sphinx and was crowned king, he retired to a farm far, far away from here, at his request. Probably unrelated. Anyway... It couldn't have been Oedipus, because even if it wasn't nameless bandits, Laius was prophesied to be killed by his son, and that's definitely not you. We had one child, but, uh, yeah, we bound it to the Lyon and gave him to a servant, and he died. I'm assuming. I mean, there was no chance that he would survive. Huh, Oedipus said. Well, at least it's good to know prophecies aren't always correct. I don't think I've ever told you this, but that's actually the reason why I left Corinth. The oracle said I was going to kill my father and marry my mother. So to avoid that ever happening, I turned the opposite direction and came here. It was actually that same day that I met the stranger at the crossroads. Stepping back, I can just picture a servant in the room during this conversation, wide-eyed and shaking her head, absolutely putting the pieces together, saying just, Wait, you were prophesied to, and the oracle said you would, Oh no, oh, just, oh, Oedipus said, "'Anyway, could we get that person here to confirm it was a group of bandits? It would really help me clear up whether I need to be exiled to save our city.' Jocasta said they could. He could be in Thebes that afternoon. Oedipus left her so he could go stew in anxiety, not quite realizing exactly what he should be worried about. Later on that day, Jocasta heard someone outside. She was hoping for the shepherd, but a man she didn't recognize walked in. "'Uh, hi. Is Oedipus here?' the messenger said." Because I have some bad news. Jocasta said that she was his wife. What was the bad news? The servant said that it was Oedipus' father, the king of Corinth. He was dead. Jocasta stared at the messenger. Was he serious? He said he was afraid so. She paused for a few seconds before saying that that news was awesome. The messenger was confused, and even more confused when Oedipus rushed downstairs, saying that, Seriously? Was his dad dead? That was amazing news. He and Jocasta jumped up and down for joy. He couldn't kill his father. He hadn't been in Corinth three years. He had nothing to do with this man's death. See, I told you prophecies were dumb. You were worried for nothing, Jocasta said. The messenger said, prophecy? Oedipus said, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. But that was actually the reason why he left Corinth in the first place. The Delphi Oracle said he was going to kill his father and marry his mother, which was actually an oddly specific prophecy for her. Anyway, he definitely hadn't killed his father, so the prophecy was bunk. The messenger laughed. Well, he said, buddy, this is your lucky day. Let me put the rest of those fears at ease. What? How? Oedipus said. Is my mom dead too? Because that could really solve some more problems for me. <laughs> oh no, the queen's still alive, the messenger said. But I can do you one better. You can come home, buddy, because the queen, she's not your biological mom. What? Oedipus said. mean I left home when I was a teenager for nothing? Who are my real parents? Hades, if I know, the messenger said. I just got you from a buddy of mine when you were a baby. You looked a cut above a normal shepherd's kid, and he wouldn't say where he got you. So I just took you to the king and queen of Corinth. Besides, those ankles were in rough shape. You needed more help than a poor shepherd could give you. Ankles? Jocasta said behind him, the smile and color had faded from her face. Yeah, someone had messed up the kid's ankles real bad, the servant said. They were swollen, and that's actually where he got his name. Oedipus means swollen ankles. The late king and his queen weren't especially creative. Messenger, where did you get that baby? Jocasta asked. Deadly serious. I got him from another shepherd. Not far from here, actually. Jocasta shrieked but that was overshadowed by someone announcing another guest. The shepherd, the only one that had survived the attack that killed Laos. What are the odds? The messenger from Corinth said. Here he is. Here's the guy that brought you to me when you were a baby. How are you? The messenger turned to Oedipus. This guy and I used to be neighbors. He can tell you all about your birth parents. Oedipus was so excited to learn about his birth parents that he didn't quite register his wife behind him, deathly pale and trembling, just uttering, No, 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 under her breath, before running away toward her bedroom, sobbing. Oedipus thought that that was weird. He would need to follow up on that in a moment, but first, he needed to know where he came from. He thought that Jocasta was panicked because he was the lowborn son of a shepherd or something, but she would get over it. For now, though, he needed to know. The shepherd looked even more terrified when he learned that Oedipus was the baby that he took to the messenger, and he shook his head. "'Nope, sorry, can't help you,' he said. "'I've never seen this man before in my life.' "'What are you talking about?' "'It's me,' the messenger said. "'Okay, seriously, look at me. "'We don't know each other. "'Whoever you think I am, that is not me. "'Do you understand?' "'The shepherd said. "'The messenger did not understand "'that he should really just drop it. "'This guy and his jokes, "'we were neighbors for three years, "'saw each other every day watching over our herds. "'He gave me a child.' You could say we were close. Come on, buddy. Tell this kid who his real parents are. Oh my gosh, the shepherd said to the messenger. Shut up. Yes, of course I know who you are. Then tell me who my parents are, Oedipus chimed in. No. Why not? Because I don't want to, the shepherd said. Well, I do want you to, Oedipus said. And I'm the king, so tell me, now, before I get angrier than I already am. And you know what I can do when I'm angry. I recognize your face from all those years ago when I killed the king. Tell me now. I can see the messenger putting it together in his head. Oedipus killed the previous king. And the prophecy and the shepherd's extreme reluctance to tell Oedipus of his parentage. I can imagine the messenger going, oh, oh no. Hey, King Oedipus, maybe we should put a pin in this and pick it back up tomorrow morning or something. No, Oedipus said. No, now I'm mad. The shepherd will tell me where he got the baby, now, in peace, or he'll tell my men in the dungeons through screams. But he will tell it to someone. Oh my gosh, seriously, Oedipus, you don't want to know this, the shepherd said in a panic. It's super gross and messed up and kind of disgusting to even say. Oedipus had enough. He motioned to his men to come get the shepherd and get the answer out of him by any means necessary. Before they could lay hands on him, He said it. It was the queen. The queen had given birth and told him to expose the child. Which queen? Oedipus said. The queen, the shepherd said, looking up the hallway to where Jocasta had fled as soon as she saw his face. No. No, that can't be true, Oedipus said, staggering backwards. That's impossible. He could see the look on the shepherd's face, though. The man was telling the truth. Prophecy had come true. He staggered backwards, the implications hitting him all at once. He had killed his father, Elias, on the road all those years ago. He had married his own mother. He was repulsed and disgusted, and I can imagine the darkness beginning to creep on the edges of his vision, as he struggled to hold himself upright. The shepherd rushed to his side, but he pushed the man away. Oedipus ran from them, barely able to hold himself up. When he saw what awaited him in his bedroom, he screamed. gets rough, and I'm going to treat the rest of the story like the play from Sophocles treats it. It cuts to hours later, Jocasta, the queen, knew Oedipus was her son as soon as she saw the shepherd's face, and she hanged herself in their bedroom out of grief. The prophecy they had tried to avoid, even scoffed at, had come true. Oedipus, mad with grief and disgust, burst in his room to see Jocasta, his wife, and his biological mother, dead, and he wept, begging for her forgiveness, he didn't know, then he thought about seeing her, and Laius, and Hades, about seeing his own children, he couldn't stand the thought, he grabbed her brooch pin, and put out his own eyes, Creon took over as king, when it was clear Oedipus had gone mad, and Oedipus walked out from the palace, his people looked on him, horrified, until Creon rushed to his side and dispersed everyone. Oedipus had suffered enough. Creon asked the blind man what he was doing, and Oedipus said that he was going to the fate he was always meant to have. He would go live on Mount Cithron, the place his parents had demanded the shepherd expose him as a child. He would go blind and alone to die on that hill. He sobbed. His sons he knew would be fine, but his young daughters Antigone and Ismene were orphans now and no man would marry them and take on this curse. Sidebar, yeah, they're probably cursed. In Greek mythology, curses lasted generations. We covered this extensively in the recent episode on the curse of the House of Atreus. But Oedipus wept and held his daughters, and then staggered out into the wilderness, no longer trying to run from fate, but throwing himself completely into its arms. Sophocles ends his play with a bright and cheerful little admonishment from Creon that you never know what the days ahead of you will hold. So count no man blessed until he's dead. The end. Yeah, that's the story of Oedipus, which was fun until it wasn't. He'll be back, blind and wandering the wilderness, like a much grosser version of Paul Atreides. But that won't be for a while. I think we studied this in junior high, and yes, the central premise of the story is extremely disgusting. I thought it was fascinating, though that the prophecies held true because of what the people had done to avoid them. If Laius and Jocasta hadn't tried to kill their child, he wouldn't have been someone unknown to them later in life, and if Oedipus hadn't heard his prophecy, he wouldn't have made that hard left toward Thebes and ended up killing Laius. I thought it was a very interesting commentary on fate. Of course, this was me in junior high, before realizing that this is every story of every prophecy in Greek mythology, and that it's an extremely common trope in folklore and world literature. That's fatalism. You have a fate, and it's going to happen, and even trying to avoid it has been taken into account. It's a web, and you're trapped in it. The story of Oedipus is pretty well known, and made all the more famous by a certain misguided psychologist, naming a probably not real childhood complex after it. Sophocles, the playwright, is well known for his tragedies, and we'll definitely talk about the story of Antigone, and the follow-up to this play, in good time. There are some themes that I just barely touched on. I figured most of you even know the story, or at least the premise, so I didn't make any big reveal at the end. But the play is thick with dramatic irony, which is where the audience knows something that the characters don't. There's some pretty obvious symbolism, with the prophet Tiresias's physical blindness, but his ability to see the truth, and that Oedipus has sight, but is blind, and is taunting Tiresias for his blindness, and that the famous Riddle Master can't figure out what's right in front of his face. Also, while I'm talking about stuff from the story, the Greek Sphinx is different from the much more famous Egyptian Sphinx. The Sphinx isn't a Greek creation, and, as far as I can tell, the one that Oedipus bested was the only Greek Sphinx. The Sphinx, in general, appears to be an Egyptian creation, where it is generally male, like the Great Sphinx of Giza, and they're generally more benevolent. And Tiresias, the blind prophet, actually has a really interesting story. When he was younger, he found some snakes tangled up one day, doing what male and female snakes are going to do. Well, Tiresias hit them with a stick. This displeased Hera, who turned him into a woman. Apparently, Tiresias, as a woman, got married and had children, before, seven years later, she found two snakes, again. Either she was going to give them a Y birth, or she trampled them. Different versions say different things. Regardless, Hera, either helping or further confusing the situation, transformed Tiresias back into a man. We don't know exactly how he was blinded, Either it was when he stumbled in on Athena bathing in a river, or when he intervened in an argument between Zeus and Hera, which, yeah, never do that. Regardless of the version, people took pity on him after blinding him, and gave him knowledge of the future, and the ability to live for seven lifetimes. Anyway, that's it for this week. Next week, it's something completely different. We're getting into the story of Paul Bunyan, our first time in American folklore. You know, I try to find weird, funny, and bizarre folklore... But this one kind of takes the cake. It was told by bored lumberjacks who were trying to one-up one another with just how ridiculous they could make the stories. It's a fun episode. In lieu of other announcements, there have been a couple more episodes of Who We Are, another podcast we're doing, where my wife talks to people about their jobs and journeys. This week, she talks to someone who's incredibly open about the darkest seasons of her life, her involvement in illegal activity, and her story about how she turned it all around. It's an awesome episode, really. Check it out. You can find it on iTunes or the Podcasts app at itunes.whoweare.fm and everywhere else at whoweare.fm or by searching for Who We Are by Carissa Weiser wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Tanuki from Japanese folklore. It's a type of badger-like raccoon dog from Japan. The creature is an actual animal, but it can also be magical. How magical, you ask? Well, like most creatures from Japanese folklore, it can shapeshift. No surprise there. It can change into human form and trick people, and apparently loves alcohol, but there's one, well, two exceptions. It has super magical, transforming testicles. That's another sentence I thought I would never say. Just how magical are they? Say that the tanuki wants to make you think he's a shopkeeper. Well, his magical parts will transform into the shop and all the items around him or say he wants to make you think he's a well-to-do man, riding in a cart. Well, you can probably guess where the cart came from. Apparently, a popular schoolyard song in Japan references this part of the Tanuki. When not used for deception, sometimes they will be flung over the creature's back, like a pack, or carried and used as drums. They have a lot of different motivations and alignments, so they might rob you, might play a joke, or might be in love with you. They are as varied as humans, they can live for years among humans, undetected, or even transform into rocks and trees for some reason. If I was robbed or tricked by a tanuki, I would be mad, of course, but I would also be really aware and kind of grossed out by everything I touched while I was walking around that store that magically disappeared with the raccoon dog. That's it for this week. The theme songs by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks to again the Loot Crate for sponsoring this episode. If you're on a quest for epic gear and collectibles, Loot Crate offers a wide range of pop culture items every month for less than 20 bucks. This month's theme salutes mystery solvers from Stranger Things, Batman, The X-Files, and Marvel's Jessica Jones. And one lucky subscriber will win the Mega Crate with signed copies of Jessica Jones' Alias, Volumes 1 through 4. Just be sure to subscribe by 9 p.m. Pacific Time on the 19th to receive this month's crate and save three dollars on your subscription when you go to lootcrate.com slash legends and enter code legends all right that's it thank you so much for listening
1: and i'll see you next time